Welcome to episode 16 of the BMAS podcast, where we'll be discussing the Psalms book of three, which is chapters 73 through 89. My name is Anton Brooks, and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Aquaquam Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. So good morning, David. How are you? Doing well, brother. How are you? All right. Before we get into specifics, can we start off by giving an overview of Psalms book three? Sure. So again, we're walking through the Psalms book by book, which means that Book one we've looked at, uh, Psalms 1 through 41. Book two we've looked at, Psalms 42 through 72. And now we come to the third book, Psalms 73 through 89. And here, uh, after the song with Solomon, Mm -hmm. or for Solomon, we now come to a very different place. So in so many ways, if we move from the historical David in books one and two, from his suffering to his glory, and we move to a future David from the perspective of the Psalms, it will lead us to Jesus. When we come to book three, we begin to see really the downfall of David's kingdom. Mm -hmm. So that by the end of the book, in Psalm 88 and 89, these are two of the darkest psalms in the entirety of the Psalter, right? And really the question is, will God keep his covenant with David? Of course he does, but at the same time, will David keep his covenant with God? That's the big question. Um, And so we move through these books, and this is where uh, we see, in some ways, the downfall of the Davidic kingdom. Um, when I preached on this a number of years ago, uh, saw some historical context for book three uh, with kings like Rehoboam, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jeho, jo- Joash, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So these are some of the kings in their life that seem to be running parallel to some of the things that we see uh, in book three. We'll put a link online that kind of shows a, a, a graphic display of what this might look like. Um, but just kind of overview, we see that there are multiple psalms from Asaph here, from Psalm 73 to 83. Jeduthun in Psalm 77, he is named. Uh, Sons of Korah in Psalms 84 and 85, again in 87 and 88. There's only one Davidic psalm, that's in Psalm 86. And then we have Haman and Ethan. Uh, All these psalms are written by priests at this time, um, and many of them reflect on the temple, even the destruction of the temple. Uh, And so again, the temple and the kingdom of David go hand in hand. And this seems to be the psalm or the book of psalms that is moving towards um, the end of the Davidic covenant. So much of that is because of what we see in Psalm 78 uh, and the forgetfulness of Israel, the forgetfulness of the kings to keep their covenant with God. So those are some of the big pictures, and uh, we'll unpack some of those as we go on today. How significant is it that book three starts with the psalm that stands in such stark contrast to the glory of Psalm 72? Yeah, it's really striking, isn't it? I mean, we see, again, this high point in Psalm 72, the promise that peace and justice will go to the ends of the earth and a prayer that God's king will reign over all the earth. And then almost immediately in Psalm 73, it moves to the uh, almost the penitential psalm of, uh, of Asaph there as he reflects on his own heart and his envy of the wicked. Uh, so the wicked are now increasing, whereas justice was going out in Psalm 72. Now the wicked are rising and causing the faithful, like Asaph, to be despairing until he comes into the house uh, of the Lord. Um, it's as though uh, Psalm 1 is in reverse, right? right. Psalm 1 says that, uh, you know, blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands away, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord. This man is one who prospers. Now Psalm 73 is the reverse. The ones who are prospering are the ones who are wicked, the ones right. who are sitting in the seat of scoffers and mocking the Lord. And uh, so something is going terribly awry here. Yeah, so to that point, 
when we look at Psalm 73, which starts off, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Who does God show his goodness to according to the verse and does it still apply today? So the definition here, according just to the verse itself, is to those who are pure in heart. Right. Right. And this is almost a confession that he's having to preach to himself, mm-hmm. right? That God is going to do good to those who are pure in heart because it seems as though um, the pure in heart are, they're prospering, right? Mm-hmm. As you continue to walk through this, um, the idea of the heart shows up again and again in these verses. Yeah. Um, right. So in verse 13, for instance, after he has listed all the prosperity of the wicked, verse 13 says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And certainly that's something that we can all express and we can feel like, Lord, why have I turned away and said no to these paths of ungodliness when those who have enjoyed them and pursued them, they seem to be doing fine. And yet I've pursued the Lord and it seems as though I'm not doing fine. Is it just in vain that I'm doing this? And then the key moment in the Psalm uh, comes in the very next thing he says in verses 16 and 17, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Right, so as we talked about in the podcast with numbers, right, mm-hmm. the reality of thinking about eternity is so important for contentment. Right, right, our contentment will not come until we come into the presence of God, are reminded of who He is, of what He is doing, that at the end of the age, all the injustice that seems as though people have gotten away with it, it won't be gotten away with any longer. Right? There will be justice for all. There will be mercy for those who trust in the Lord. And so when we come to the end of the psalm, what we find him saying, and confessing again um, in verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is in the source, is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, but you put an end to everyone who is fa- unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I love how the New American Standard puts it. The nearness of God is my good. Right. Right. So when we think about God's goodness, again, we have to define it by God himself. And what is the greatest good that he can give to us? It's himself. Right. Right. So you go back to verse one. Truly, God is good to those who are pure in heart. It is worthy and it is worthwhile to go through all the difficulties of being pure in heart because we get God. And that will be satisfying both now and forever. Amen. So are there any historical or are there any other historical connections in Psalm 73 through 89? Yeah, so I mentioned just some of the historical notes there. Psalm 74, Psalm 75, some have taken that when it describes the destruction of the temple as being a time and place when Babylon comes in and destroys the temple. I'm more persuaded that we see a progression from Solomon all the way down to Hezekiah and then the last days of the Davidic kings. Right. Right. Because in part, just in the the storyline of the Psalter, the arrangement that is there, we just have Solomon. And in 2 Chronicles, right after Solomon um, leaves the scene, his son Rehoboam becomes the king. He comes with great pride. And we learn that Shishak from Egypt in about 930 AD comes in and does all kinds of devastating destruction to the temple there in the years after Solomon. That's described in 2 Chronicles 10 through 12. 
Um, we know that Rehoboam, it says in those chapters, that he did evil in his own eyes and that Egypt took away the treasures of God's house and the king's house. Right. So something is happening to the temple in the generation right after Solomon. And I think Psalm 74 and 75 are picking that up. It doesn't destroy the temple entirely, right? So it sounds as though it does when we read Psalm 74 um, in verse 3, direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. And yet when we read 74 with 75, we come at the very beginning, and here's the psalm. It says, according to do not destroy. Mm-hmm. So here's the melody, right, <laughs> of do not destroy. We don't know what that is, but we know that that's the theme that is there from the superscription. And in verse 1, it says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. So it seems as though there's judgment coming upon the people of Israel because of Rehoboam's sin. There are the nations of Egypt coming in to take away their plunder, but God hears their cry and he protects them from total destruction. It may have seemed as though it was going to be totally destroyed, but it wasn't. And that seems to begin this cycle that moves through book three, right? And Psalm 78 then gives kind of a chronology of Israel's history, and it shows how God was faithful to them, and yet God as people sinned, and God brought judgment upon them, and yet he also brought deliverance, and that cycle continues. That seems to be what's happening in book three, from Rehoboam to Asa, Asa to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat to Joash and Ahaz, and then to Hezekiah. And again, if you look at the, the word graphic that we'll put up online, you can see some of those things working out in the book of, of book three. Let's take a look at verses one through nine in chapter 77, starting with verse one. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be confronted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? How did the psalm writer feel about God's inaction on his behalf according to these verses? Yeah, don't you love the Psalms, the yeah. way they just express our own feelings at times? Yes. Where, where are you? What are you doing? Um, you know, back in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? That continues to be a theme that is working out here. Right. Right, and I think one of the reasons why that God, I mean, just to kind of apply this, one of the reasons why that God doesn't answer in our timetable is because it presses us deeper into him, mm. right? And it seems in the life of the Christian, there are going to be seasons of great and incredible growth mm-hmm. and also times of hardening. Mm. And that hardening is a strengthening, right? So just as trees, I mean, God is making oaks of righteousness right. in Jesus Christ. And just as trees in the spring, the sap is flowing and the green buds are branching out and they're growing and all that, that's when the growth takes place, right? right? But then throughout the rest of the year into the fall, the winter, it's not as though that nothing's happening for that tree, but the winds blow and the cold comes and that tree is having to get stronger in order to be able to maintain itself through the years. Wow. And so I think that's very, very similar to the Christian's experience. There are sweet times of great green growth and we love those times but there are also times of of drought and despair and difficulty and when that happens we may think god's not doing anything but he is 
right? And in the psalm itself, we just keep reading. Verse 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Like, think about this. Like, in those great seasons of green growth, hopefully it's filled with the Word of God. Right. right? We are putting the Word of God in our heart. We are memorizing. We are thinking about it. We are being renewed by it. So that in those times of great heartache and despair, we are pulling from those promises that we have put into our minds or the scripture passages that we have learned so that we can remember in those times, right? God doesn't seem like he's doing anything in this day, but I remember his faithfulness here. Right. And in fact, we keep reading from Psalm 77 to 78, the whole Psalms, the longest Psalm there in the section is remembering all that God had done for the people of Israel at this time. Right? And so this is what it means to grow in Christian maturity and discipleship is to remember what God has done and to live our lives in faith in what God has promised beforehand, trusting that we will see the goodness of God again in the land of the living. So I do have another question. I see the word Selah. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Selah, Selah. Selah. I see that um, very often in Psalms. And what does that word mean? That's a good question. Maybe it's just a future prediction of a musical group in the you know, <laughs> late 20th and 21st century. Right. No, it's a Hebrew word. I think it has the idea of rest. It's something of an enigma. Uh, it seems to be in related to how the music is even being played. Mm -hmm. See, throughout the Psalms, I remember in, uh, in class, when I took a class in, in college on the Old Testament, professor said, if you know what that word means, uh, I'll give you an A for the class. <laughs> right. I think I was dozing off at that time. I woke up saying, I think it means rest because I heard it somewhere. It's like, yeah, whatever, I'm not giving you a grade. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, I, I think it does have something to do with that. I mean, perhaps the way that we might read it as we're reading through the Psalms is that it's intended for us to reflect on what's just been said. Mm. Right. So often in our Bible reading and just the way that we can treat the Lord, like we can just run through. Uh, and get everything done. Okay, I've got reading today. I'm read through real quick. Like, the sailor should remind us, no, slow down. Mm. Read what you just read again. Think about what it means. Remember who God is. Um, and I think it's just a, a helpful marker for that. Wow. Psalm 83 starts off with language that I think is very relevant to us today. All right. I'm going to read Psalm 83, 1 through 3. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. Does this psalm illustrate that the spiritual battles being fought in the Old Testament are still being fought today? Yeah. So there's definitely a spiritual battle that runs from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Right? So, I mean, just the whole framework of the world is set upon this uh, conflict that is begun in Genesis 3, right? right? The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent will be at odds with one another. Mm -hmm. It's still going on today. There's some changes that are taking place between the old covenant and the new. In the old covenant, we know that, um, well, at that time, the world was not under the feet of Jesus mm -hmm. the way that it is today, right? right? When Jesus fulfilled all the promises, all the world was put under his feet, we're seeing that authority being cast out to the ends of the earth. Right. That's what was given to Adam originally, right? But what was lost from Adam and picked up by Satan and his uh, dominion, right, was the fact that, okay, this world, which was supposed to be under the rule and authority of humanity, mm -hmm. is now under satanic rule. Right. Right. And so certainly Jesus, when he comes, is
is undoing the works of the devil. And so there is a change between Old Testament and New Testament, but there's still battle that continues as well. And so we see that language here. Uh, I think about Psalm 86, um, which is actually language that's kind of strange to us. Right? It says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. So in that psalm we see, wait, I thought there's just one God. Right. right? But it's talking about God's plural. Mm-hmm. And if we just want to be really careful and really biblical, so yeah, the Bible describes one God who created all things. Right. But when he created the powers and principalities, created all things visible and invisible, those invisible spiritual beings are called gods as well. Right. Right. And so the gods of the nations are often inspired by these demonic spirits. Yeah. Right. And so here, there is none among these created gods mm-hmm. like the one God. Because there's only one God worthy of all worship, praise, and honor, and all these, you know, false gods who are not gods, Paul mm-hmm. will say in First Corinthians 8, uh, they are not like God at all, mm-hmm. right? So we have to affirm, like, there's only one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, but there are spiritual beings who are invisible and in the heavenly places and are greater in power and knowledge than humanity, and humanity worships them. Right or is inspired to do things, maybe even not knowing that they're being inspired by these demonic forces, mm. right? The lies that are out there in the right. world, right? So there's definitely a spiritual warfare in the Old Testament between Israel and the other nations. There's definitely a spiritual warfare that goes on today with the holy nation of God's people made up of Jews and Gentiles in the church right. and the world around us. The warfare looks different. In the Old Testament is very physical with spears and shields and warfare, Warfare today is the sword of the word of God, mm-hmm. prayer, our own sacrifice and suffering for the sake of Christ. But there is battle throughout the whole Bible in our world today, too. Yeah, I think the verse that stood out to me was verse three when it says they lay crafty plans against your people. Mm. They consult together against your treasured ones. And you yeah. just see that so prevalent yeah. when you're looking at TV and you can see that the sin being promoted in every commercial and yeah. in pretty much every TV show It just mm-hmm. to indoctrinate and to normalize yeah. the sin that is uh, against God. No, that's right. I mean, there. how does Satan work? Well, he is a liar. Right. Murderer from the beginning, right? So those lies continue to be perpetuated today. Mm-hmm. As I read the Psalms, I noticed that several of them had a notation that reads, a Psalm of the sons of Korah, such as Psalms 84, 85, and 87. Are these the sons of the man named Korah that rebelled against Moses? Yeah, uh, if not sons, descendants of, right? right? Old Testament son can be an immediate offspring. It can be many generations beyond, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely there is a lineage that is there. So it means that they are Levites, and uh, as you brought up at the last time, they're Levitical singers, yeah. right? So they would have been stationed by David into the temple to sing songs and to write songs, obviously. Most of these songs of the sons of Korah have a similar theme. They're centered on the temple mm-hmm. itself, um, Asaph was one of the leaders there, so he gets picked up in Psalm 73 through 83. So all of these people are, are writing that. It's, it's helpful to see that these psalms also then come at the time of the temple. Right. right? Even though the Psalter itself would be collected and arranged at the time after the exile, there's an association between these psalms and the temple. And when we see the sons of Korah here, we see that's where they came from. 
Um, it's helpful to see, too, that Korah, in his rebellion, uh, his sons could have perished with him, maybe should have perished with him. God had mercy upon his offspring, mm-hmm. and they are doing what Korah did not. Yeah. Right? Korah wanted to enter into greater service to God, and he was rejected because he went too far. These sons of Korah have been invited in by David to come and to sing songs there in the temple. I mean, if you just imagine what that would have been like, entering into the presence of God there in the temple and hearing these songs being sung, uh, that's what they were doing, and it just shows the grace and mercy of God in that. Psalms 88 and 89 are really dark and depressing songs. <laughs> Is there any way to read them and find hope, or are those not intended for hope? Um, keep reading, right? So... Thankfully, Psalms 88 and 89 don't finish the Psalter. Right. They close this chapter in Israel's history. And if we think about it, the chapter that's being closed here, in so many ways, is the exile, when a time period will be of 70 years, right, where the people of Israel will be going to Babylon and they will lose their land, they'll lose their temple, all of those things will be lost, and they'll be there for 70 years. Right. But then when you read Psalm 90, and we'll talk about this next week, what does Psalm 90 describe? It describes the 70 years of a life of a man, or right. 80 if he is strong. It's amazing just to see that as this exile theme gets picked up in God coming and bringing redemption in book four, it begins with the Psalm of Moses, mm. who is the man that God appointed to deliver the people out of bondage before and to bring them into the land, or at least to the edge of the land. And so it seems that the great despair that we find in Psalm 88 and 89 finds a ray of hope by continuing to read in Psalm 90. In fact, talking to a lady a couple of years ago when we walked through Psalm 88 and 89, she talked about, you know what, I read those Psalms and I just stopped. Yeah. Like I was so discouraged by them, I didn't want to read anything more. And when she learned, like, well, maybe we should read these Psalms in context and mm-hmm. read into 90 and beyond and the promises of God coming and bringing his kingdom, it's like, there's incredible hope there. Right, yeah. Now, at the same time, there are times in our lives when Okay, we believe the promises, but everything in life is dark. Yeah. And these psalms are important for those times too, to give us a time of lament, to give us a time of expressing the loss and the sorrow that is there. Yes, we can see a ray of light way out in the distance, Mm -hmm. but where it is right now, it's all dark. And these psalms are faithful words that God gives to his people to express that in their time of need. Are there any psalms from book three we should keep in mind? Um, yeah, so two psalms come to mind. Uh, one of those is Psalm 73. Again, we talked about the very beginning. Um, in our experience, when we look at especially just the celebrity culture, right, if we pay attention at all to what goes on in sports or music or entertainment, or even if we just hear about those things and are not tuned into that, there is a temptation to say, see, they've got it good. Mm. I want that. Right, right? yeah. And our temptation then is to say, why do I keep holding on to the faith that just seems like it makes it difficult, Mm -hmm. right? Psalm 73 is great for that, right? To remind us that what looks so good in the beautiful people of the world, the celebrity culture, is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Yes. I was trying to talk to my son about that the other day, that what you see in all these characters on television and everything else, it seems as though they're so happy and beautiful and good and all that. Like so many of them child stars Mm. how's it go five years later 10 years later 50 years later right man cannot stand the attention that that worship and that glory that is received there you've talked about this before just the way that you have that high of that success you want Mm -hmm. to keep living it can't be done yeah but when you come into the presence of god there is a nearness of god that is our good and 
we have to preach that to ourselves. Psalm 73 is so helpful there. Yeah, I can speak from experience. I have had a peek behind the curtain of the entertainment industry, Mm -hmm. and it is not all that it seems. And all the people that I came in contact with that we know as stars um, Mm. behind the scenes were not very happy. Mm. They were very um, down. And I think part of that came from, you know, when they're out in front of the people, they have all these applause Mm -hmm. and um, the admiration of of man. But when they're home alone, they're just so lonely because that, that becomes their identity, that fame. And um, instead of putting it in Christ, as we've talked about so many times before. No. So I think Psalm 73 is, is helpful just to give scripture to kind of think through those things. Right. Uh, At the other time, and this is for all people, I mean, Psalm 84, right? This glorious song, and we sing it sometimes, you know, how lovely is your dwelling place, right? Uh, Just describes the glory and the goodness of being in the presence of God, right? right? So Psalm 74, 79 talk about the destruction of the temple, but here is why the temple is so good. Mm -hmm. It's because it's where God was and how the people met with him. And so it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are all those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Mm. So if we do what that says, just to kind of pause and think about this, verse three, it's like, what's he talking about the sparrow? It's like, I think he envies the sparrow who gets to make its nest in the temple, wow! right? Because in the temple is where the glory and goodness of God is. And the birds there get to do that all the time. No one in Israel could do that, right? Right. The priests could go near the Lord. The Levites could come a little bit, but the people that nobody could do that. Right. right? Yeah. And so they see these birds who are drawing ever nearer to God. It's like, that's what I want. Blessed mm. are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. He goes on, blessed are those whose strength is in you and those whose are the heart the and, the and whose hearts blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion they go through the valley of Baca which is a word for weeping mm. they make it a place of springs the early rain also covers its pools they go from strength to strength each one appears before God in Zion right so again it's this pilgrimage mentality that in order to get to the place of god they have to go through the valley of weeping to come into the presence of god right oh lord our god of hosts hear my prayer give ear o god of jacob selah behold our shield o god look on the face of your anointed for a day and your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than to dwell in the tents of wickedness for the lord god is a sun and shield the lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly the lord of hosts blessed is the one who trusts in you amen right it's just a psalm that's really good for us right that better to be in the presence of god than to have all the riches and all the comforts and all the security that this world can bring. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. All right. This concludes today's discussion of the third book of Psalms. As you follow along with the reading plan, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to ask, please send them to Emmaus at obc.org. You may hear a response in an upcoming episode. Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better. For more resources related to this episode and the gospel-centered ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.